Welcome back to Passing Judgment, a podcast about politics and the law and a lot of things in between. I'm your host, Loyola Law School professor Jessica Levinson, and today we are joined by Kevin Troutman. Kevin is a partner at Fisher Phillips and a member of the firm's COVID-19 task force. He also leads its vaccine work group. He's been frequently quoted in the media about vaccine passports and whether or not mandating vaccines is legal. We're so happy to have you here. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you for passing judgment with us. Thank you, Jessica. I'm very happy to be here. So I am a lawyer, but not an expert in this area. And I get a version of this question all the time, which is, can my employer, can my school require that I get the COVID-19 vaccine? So I'd really just like to go through a number of different scenarios with you and have you say yes, basically yes or no and why. And then as you reminded me, let's not just talk about what's legal, but let's also talk about what's moral and what's ethical, what should be done. That sounds good. Thank you. Um, So let's start with schools. A lot of colleges and universities now at the time we're taping this have announced that they're going to require faculty, staff, and students to obtain the vaccine prior to going back to school. Is that legal? And does it matter that the vaccines are authorized under the emergency use authorization? Uh, The short answer is yes, it's legal. But as you know, whenever you're talking to lawyers, there's always a a lot of caveats that go along with that. So uh, schools schools can require the vaccines of students and uh, faculty and staff, but uh, they always have to be uh, aware of the uh, possibility of having to consider and possibly grant accommodations based on religious or um, medical reasons. And, and sometimes in some cases, maybe even ethical reasons, but the religious and the medical reasons are the primary. Uh, drivers there. You also have to stay aware of of state law when it comes to education, uh, particularly in the public uh, sector, but but education all around the country. Uh, States, you know, pass laws and each legislature is a little different as far as what they require and what they permit in terms of vaccinations in schools. So the broad question, yes, uh, schools can require vaccinations subject to those exceptions that may have to be provided and, and subject to specifics under individual state laws. So do you always need an exception for religious reasons and medical reasons? Are those the two where every state says at least those two exemptions? Or are there states where you, for instance, you don't have to give a religious exemption? Uh, There are generally um, the, the medical and religious reasons that you have to focus on. I, I focus primarily on federal law because I, my practice is, is all over the country. So if we get into specific states, I usually get somebody from that state to help me with uh, the, the details. But generally, you're going to be looking at either a religious or a medical reason for refusing the vaccine. In, in almost every case, if, uh, if the state permits in a school setting, if the state permits uh, vaccinations and doesn't for, for some reason preclude allowing the vaccination, then the the exceptions would have to be based on medical or religious reasons. So let's go a little bit younger. The Pfizer vaccine is now authorized for everybody 16 and over. I expect that within about a year, uh, the vaccines will be authorized for everybody at least two and over. Mm -hmm. Does the same legal framework hold for high schools, middle schools, elementary schools, where 
kids are obviously minors, you're requiring that a minor do something, but we do have a standard for this. I mean, if you want to send, I'm talking to you from California, if you want to send your kid to public or private school, anything short of homeschool, and you have to check off that list of, yes, we did the MMR, we did the DTaP, we did the chickenpox vaccine, we did the polio vaccine. Can we put the COVID vaccine in that same bucket? Well, we're kind of in uh, a holding pattern right now. We're going to have to watch what the states do because, uh, as you referenced, you know, California has its set of requirements and every state is a little different. So it's going to depend upon what the state requires and what the state permits. And we're going to have to watch that, particularly as those age limits start to uh, creep down. You know, right now, I think we have the Pfizer uh, vaccine that's being considered for uh, that 12 to 16 uh, age group, but uh, that's that's still something to be decided. And, and the general sense is that we're going to see more movement in that direction. But as, as that happens, as those approvals happen, then we're going to have to watch to see what the, the states do in terms of their list. You know, are they going to require uh, the vaccination for COVID or are they going to limit it in some way? And, and that really remains to be seen. This is, this is unlike any other vaccine that I've ever seen. And I work mostly, you know, in, in employment kinds of issues, and I'm used to seeing, say, the flu shot uh, come up in, in a lot of different situations. And uh, we thought that was controversial, but uh, that pales in comparison to the controversy and the strong feelings that we've seen pop up in connection with the COVID vaccine. So what are the legislatures going to do? What are the individual states going to do? Uh, that, we don't know. So we, we can guess, but that's all it would be at this point, maybe an educated guess. But uh, we're just going to have to watch and see what direction uh, this goes and, and monitor the individual states as they uh, decide how they'll deal with whatever uh, the, the CDC or the, um, the FDA through its emergency use authorization process decides to do. I don't know if this is a fair question, but if California came to you and said, we really want to include this COVID-19 vaccine once it is authorized for kids. Can you walk us through it? Do you, you know, do you advise that we do that? Would you feel comfortable saying, yes, I think so, given the case law, given the precedent, and frankly, given the background of the health and safety concerns? Or would you say, let's pause for a moment, let's think about this? I'm wondering what you would do if they came to you and asked for your advice? You know, as I look at these situations, one of the things that I try to always do is go back to the medical experts. So I would recommend uh, that anybody who's considering that decision goes back to the doctors and goes back to the scientists and, and ask them those kinds of questions and ask why. Why do you think this would be something that would be helpful for, for this population, for this school, for this employer? And, and for the public in general, what would it do to promote uh, safety overall in, in the community? Because you know we, we've seen the knowledge evolve. We've even seen some opinions change over time. So I would go back and see what, what are the studies showing us? You know, earlier on, we had heard that uh, children may, may not even contract the virus, may not transmit it. And, and you know, we learn more and more as time goes on. So I would go back and see what is the current state of the science. And that's what I would recommend to anybody who asks me. Go back to doctors, go back to the researchers and see what they say and what is their rationale. I, I look at it from an overall uh, standpoint of trying to improve safety in these places 
and safety in the communities. And, and I would defer to the scientists and the doctors on that question. Now, if the science and the doctors hold in the current thinking that everything we've learned over the last year indicating that you can transmit COVID-19, that there's airborne transmission, that we know kind of the situations where you're most likely to have transition, that it can be highly contagious, particularly in households. Let's move from students to talking about parents. And the same isn't true on college and university campuses, but certainly high schools, middle schools, elementary schools, most kids are living at home. Parents are on campus, maybe at the least amount of time to drop off and the most amount of time to do some, you know, volunteer work, committee work on campus. Could a school say, not just to its employees, um, but to its parents, look, if, if you want your kid to go to this school, then we'd like to see your vaccine card. That's, that's not something that we could rule out, uh, particularly in a private school setting, because in private schools, the, the parents are going to sign a contract that lays out the arrangement between the school and the family and, and the, the student. So uh, that's something that could happen. And as you said, the, you know, the parents may be on campus. They may be involved in activities with students. So there may be reasons why, at least to the extent that parents were on campus and involved with students or having exposure to students, that it may make sense for them to be vaccinated. But that's a decision that the schools are going to have to make, uh, again, particularly in a, in a private school setting. Um, but, but it's certainly not out of the question. It's something that could happen, and I, I have heard it discussed. Now, let's move from schools and educational institutions for a moment and go more generally to workplaces. We touched on this a little bit, but to get maybe both more general and more specific, assuming that the science holds up and that everything we now know to be true continues to be true and that two plus two continues to be four in some ways, um, that can any employer say to an employee, if you want to spend in-person time uh, at this place of business, uh, then you will be vaccinated? Or are there any situations where it depends on what kind of work you do? Are you in a healthcare setting? Are you in a setting where you can where you don't have to be in the office as much and you're just in the office for kind of quick little touches, meaning can there be a blanket rule or do we have to be a little bit more nuanced about what the work is? Well, your question nails the issues pretty well. Uh, the, the broad answer again is yes. In, in almost every situation today, as we speak, employers can require the vaccine. I saw just uh, yesterday, I think, that uh, the Montana legislature passed uh, some, uh, they passed a bill that's going to prohibit the use of, or the requirement of uh, using vaccines that are issued under the emergency use authorization that hasn't been signed by the governor yet, but if the governor does sign it, that's gonna go into effect in July. So that would change our answer, at least in Montana and other state legislatures are considering that. But as of today, uh, employers can require the vaccine. They have to make allowances for uh, exemptions based on either medical or religious reasons. So they have to have that built into their policy. But uh, the, the point you made about the nature of the job, I think is critical because when it comes down to considering requests for accommodations, requests for exemptions based on medical reasons, let's say, then the employer is going to have to evaluate that job 
and determine is is there really a, a reason that we have to require the vaccine here and what possible accommodations could we make? So I, I think employers really ought to think through what their answers to those questions would be before they decide to mandate. There's a lot of middle ground between uh, mandating and saying nothing. And that's something that we can get into if you want to. But uh, yes, generally employers can require vaccines. They have to allow for those exemptions for medical and religious reasons. Uh, the reason for that is because the, uh, the employment relationship in, in most states, the vast majority of states is at will, which means that either the employee or the employer can end the relationship at any time for any reason not prohibited by law. So uh, that, that's sort of the underpinning of, of how this can be required. Now, is it gonna make sense for each employer? That's something you have to talk a little bit more about. The emergency use authorization is something we've heard a lot of discussion about, but the fact that these uh, EUAs, uh, that, that procedure has been used, doesn't mean that the vaccine wasn't tested for effectiveness and for safety. It has been very carefully and, and very extensively studied. And um, certainly in the, in the private sector, and we believe even in the public sector, employers can require their employees to be vaccinated. But when it comes to enforcing that policy in the context of somebody who's requesting an exemption on a medical or a religious basis, that's where you really got to get into the details of the job and decide whether you can really show, for instance, if someone's working remotely, is there really a reason to require that person to be vaccinated? If the person doesn't have close contact with others, you know, that's not the same as, let's say, a nurse who's laying their hands on a patient multiple times every day and maybe working closely with coworkers. So that, that's the analysis you'll get into when it comes to evaluating these requests for accommodations or exceptions. So is that a situation where you're talking about evaluating, you know, is the person a nurse with their hands on a patient? I just want to be clear that I understand if we're comparing, you know, again, a, a healthcare worker, somebody who needs to physically be with other people day in and day out versus, let's say, a consultant who maybe is in the office one to two times a week or one to two times a month, uh, is that evaluation a, a practical one, or is that something where the law requires it? I mean, does the law permit employers to say, you want to be in this office building for two days out of the year, then I'd like to see your vaccine card? Or does the law require a more nuanced look at it? The law permits you to say that if you want to come in this building you have to show me that vaccine card or you have to prove to me that you've been vaccinated. That's what the law permits you to do as an employer. The question is, when it comes to enforcing that requirement, uh, particularly and, and especially when somebody is requesting an accommodation, that's where you really have to get into those details I talked about, about the requirements of the job, their interactions with other people. So that, that is where you really start to think about it from a practical matter do you, do you want to put that requirement in place if you've got a workforce for whom that's really not going to come into play very often anyway? Do you want to take on that responsibility of having to enforce a policy that's going to turn out to not really be that important or that applicable if most of your workforce and most of the duties are performed remotely or with very little interaction with other people? 
So you're bringing us to the next big question, which is enforcement and how do you enforce? I mean, short, well, we know that, you know, we know how you enforce in the sense that it's the same as public schools or as employers now who require a flu shot where you say, okay, here's proof that I had it. But how far can employers go? And is there a certain point where they're violating an employee's right to privacy, where they're verging on violating other employee rights because they're so aggressive about asking, well, why did you say no? And I I didn't even think you were religious. Or are you sure you really have a medical problem? Your allergies don't sound that serious. I mean, at what point do employers really potentially face liability for how much they're asking when it comes to enforcement? Yeah, those are great questions. And and they're really detailed as far as how you deal with them. But uh, the Americans with Disabilities Act really sets up the framework for those medical types of issues. And the ADA only allows employers to make medical inquiries under limited circumstances. But one of those circumstances would be if an employee asked for an accommodation because you've got this vaccine requirement and the employee is asking for an exemption to that requirement, then as an employer, you have the right to ask for some documentation from their physician that, or, or their healthcare provider, whoever it may be, to show that there, there really is a medical basis, an objective basis for possibly being excused from the requirement, and maybe there's some accommodation that could be reached. Uh, Title VII governs the religious uh, accommodation process, and there again, that information uh, can be elicited from the employee when they've asked for an accommodation. But otherwise, you know, as an employer, you don't want to just walk around and start asking employees, are you vaccinated and why not? Uh, that's, that's not what employers should do. And uh, I've, I've written several articles along that line uh, about that subject. Uh, employers can ask if you've, been, if you've been vaccinated, but that's it, you know, yes or no. And then the question about accommodations is what would lead to further discussion and, and further uh, disclosure of more medical information. If the employer receives that medical information, they have a duty to treat that as confidential, to keep it separate from the personnel file, and uh, really to even keep supervisors from accessing that information. That, that's a very confidential record and only uh, authorized, typically HR or employee health personnel would have access to that medical information. Interesting. And Without asking you to violate any attorney-client privilege, certainly, I mean, you are one of the nation's experts on these issues. Could you talk to us briefly about what type of questions you're getting from your clients right now? Are they struggling with, do we mandate it? You mentioned, and I want to pick up on this, that there's a big, there's a middle ground between nothing at all and it being mandated. Are most employers seemingly interested in this kind of middle ground of trying to incentivize employees without requiring it as a part of their employment? Or what are some of the big questions you're hearing lately? Yes, we're, we're seeing exactly that, that uh, there's a big middle ground. And from what I've seen, 10 to 15% of employers uh, may be mandating or requiring the vaccination. And there's another 30 or 40% who are actively interested in encouraging it and maybe even providing incentives. And then another group who uh, will provide information but not even be as aggressive in terms of encouraging the vaccine. 
But, but one of the best ways to encourage the vaccine is just to provide information. And that's information from trusted medical services or sources, such as, you know, I've, I've seen Johns Hopkins, for instance, has a, a great site where they provide information. But I've seen lots of uh, providers that have great information out on their websites that uh, include FAQs and information about how the vaccines are developed, what they do, uh, the safety, the process they went through. So the more that an employer can put information out there and explain to employees why this is a good thing for the workplace, why it's a good thing for the employee, why it's a good thing for everybody, the more likely we are from what I've seen in working with clients for that vaccination rate to be higher among that workforce. And then the employer doesn't have to go to the, um, to the point of mandating a vaccine. They'll, they'll get a high level of participation through ex explaining and educating and kind of collaborating with the workforce. So if, that, if that's doable, that's a great way to approach it. There may be some cases where an employer feels they have to require the vaccine and that's going to depend upon, you know, again, the nature of the job and the safety sensitivity, you know, the, the vulnerability of the people that uh, the employees are interacting with. It feels like there's really a, this is a microcosm of something we're struggling with on the national level, which is talking to how to provide people with facts and how to make people comfortable on their own. Uh, making science-based decisions and making decisions free of disinformation and making decisions that are best for them individually and best for their communities. And um, I mean, I think you just bring up such a good point, which is try and provide unbiased scientific medical information and hope that you get to a point where uh, employers don't have to require um, these these vaccines, that employees come to it on their own. Uh, are there situations where an employer could would come to you and say, we've really done everything we can to try and incentivize our employees. They're upset about this. There's a group that just doesn't want the vaccination. Do you also have to talk to your clients about kind of thinking through what's best for their workplace, thinking through not just the legal aspects of this, but again, something that you brought up with me, which is, should we be in a position of requiring these vaccines? Yes, I, I think you have to do that as an employer. And, and I need to bring that up when I talk to clients. Have you thought through what the reaction of your workforce is going to be? Because if, if 20% or so, plus or minus, and that's what the surveys show, if there's 20% of the workforce who's just going to resist to the last in taking the vaccines, what are you going to do? What is that going to mean? Are you going to lose that many employees? Or are you going to have that many employees who are distracted and unhappy? What can you do about that? What are you hearing from your employees about the reasons that they don't want to get vaccinated? Are they afraid of side effects? They just don't like the idea of vaccinations. What are the reasons? And if you understand the reasons, then what can you do to help them understand uh, or, or feel better about taking the vaccine and, and alleviate their concerns. So yes, I, I talk to clients frequently about what, what is the middle ground, what's right for you as an employer, because if, if you say we're going to mandate the vaccination and then suddenly you've got this huge group of employees who are holdouts and just aren't going to take the vaccine, that's going to create a whole new set of problems and, and one that, that nobody wants. So how do, how do we move in that direction without getting into an adversarial kind of posture. 
Well, and then on the flip side, there may be 80% of the employees who say, I don't want to come back unless you've mandated this. I mean, are you also hearing that? I'm just thinking about, I don't, I don't want to reveal anything too personal or private, but obviously, you know, I'm employed by a university. We have discussions about what's appropriate. The university publicly has just come out with a mandate saying, if you're going to come back, you're going to come back and be vaccinated. Um, and I anecdotally understand that there are people who said, look, I, I don't want to come back until this is mandated. I can't put myself at risk. I can't put my family at risk. And I think it's a moral imperative. Are you also hearing that where you have to balance, you know, again, these kind of 15 competing things at the same time? Yes, it, it's, it's always a balancing act. I, I think in the world of employment law in particular, you're always looking to balance risk versus individual rights and then whatever the business interests are that are at stake and always keeping safety first and foremost. So uh, this is a very interesting point in that intuitively you would think, well, I get vaccinated. Now it's, it's safer for me to go into that workplace. Well, it is safer for me, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I can't still carry the vaccine into the workplace and even transmit it to somebody else. We're still learning. And when I say we, the scientific and medical community community is still learning you know, what what can a person who's fully vaccinated do in terms of transmitting the virus? And at this point, OSHA, and that's who governs workplace safety on a federal level, OSHA says we shouldn't differentiate between the fully vaccinated and the unvaccinated in the workplace. So even though people are vaccinated and we, we know that because of that vaccination, they've got roughly a 95% chance of either not getting sick or not getting as sick, OSHA still says that you should not treat those employees differently in terms of following your COVID protocols. So we're still learning, you know, at what point do we reach that magic level where there's herd immunity and the fact that all these folks are vaccinated and some people have the antibodies as a result of the antibodies as a result of having had COVID and recovered. At what point do we reach that herd immunity where we can do away with some of these precautions? I, I don't know. The scientists are still trying to determine where that number lies. But what we do know is currently OSHA says whether you're vaccinated or not, you still need to follow those protocols when you're in the workplace. Now, OSHA is expected fairly soon to issue some updated rules, but I don't know that that uh, is something that that expectation is necessarily going to be relaxed. So we'll have to continue to watch that. Uh, and and I, I just think it's an interesting point that intuitively you may think, oh, vaccine, that's safer. Somebody may say, well, I'm going to work next to somebody who's vaccinated. I feel better. That doesn't mean that person still can't transmit COVID. Therefore, that other employee and I both need to continue to practice COVID protocols, which includes masking, distancing, et cetera. A, a significant balancing act, as you said. Um, let's end with, a, before we get to our three questions, let's end with a, a lightning round, if you don't mind, of can you be required to show a vaccine card in the following places? So not talking about workplace, not talking about schools, talking about places where you might spend an hour, two hours, um, much less time. Uh, my favorite, uh, my favorite neighborhood restaurant. Can they say Look, if you want to come inside? We'd love to see your Pfizer card. You know they, uh, they they're going to have to comply with whatever their local requirements are, whatever their state requirements are. If they want to put a requirement like that in place, 
they, they can do it in most cases. Uh, the question is, you know, they've got to decide, is that good for my business and good for safety, good for uh, keeping my business viable, or is it not? Uh, but they can do it. Uh, you know, a private business can say you're going to be screened before you come in or you're going to wear a mask before you come in or you're going to show that you've been vaccinated. Now, is that the right decision? That's another question. And it might depend on where the restaurant is located, how much outdoor dining is available, what, you know, the client, what age range maybe the clientele is, a whole host of things. So exactly. given your answer then, is basically the same thing true for hotels, concert halls, planes, trains, um, maybe even taxis, I was going to say automobiles, where you have to comply with local requirements. It's it's okay, but you need to make a decision, not just is it legal, but also is it practically um, beneficial for me and my community? Yes, that's right. You know, the private property owner, or the private property business operator can, can certainly put those requirements in place. But again, you've got to consider state and local requirements and then think through those business issues and those safety issues to decide what works for you. So yes. We've certainly learned a lot from you. We'd like to learn a little bit more about you. Questions that may or may not have anything to do with employment law and COVID-19. First question, which famous person dead or alive would you want to invite to a dinner party and why? You know, I, I've always uh, had a great interest in Abraham Lincoln, and so uh, that, that's, that's probably the one that uh, would be at the top of my list. A good lawyer's answer. Um, you're going to be stranded on a desert island, and you can bring one meal. What is it and why? Well, uh, my wife always says when all else fails, she goes with French fries. So uh, if I could get hot French fries, <laughs> that might be my meal. And finally, you get one superpower for one hour. What is it and why? You know, I can't, I, I can't rely on one superpower. I'm a lawyer and I've always got to have a lot of ifs and buts and thens. So uh, I can't narrow it down to one. I'd like to be super smart. That, that's what I'll choose. Kevin Troutman, you have shared a lot of super smartness with us, and I am very appreciative of that. I learned a lot. I thought through a lot of questions about what's legal, what's practical, what's beneficial, and uh, thank you for passing judgment with us. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. So that'll do it for us, listeners. Thank you so much for sharing these conversations with us. You can find me on Twitter at Levinson Jessica, the podcast on Twitter at Past Judgment Pod, and we will talk to you next time. Thank you.